0: Well, it is great to be back with you in all three dimensions today, um, and uh, hey, yeah, anyway, thanks for all your wonderful notes about last week, and um, I just want to share one of the sort of behind-the-scenes just little miracles we experienced. That, that video that we sent last week was, was 38 minutes long, and over um, African internet, we didn't know if we were going to be able to actually upload it for our tech here to play it. And um, so we were, we were praying about that, and, and Aaron stayed up most of the night, sort of nursing it along one night, and, and it made it. And the next day, he went to upload a one-minute-long video and it said it was gonna take four hours to upload and it eventually timed out and wouldn't even work. So um, we uploaded a 38 minute video and a one minute video wouldn't upload the next day. So hey, um, praise the Lord. Yeah, it, so it was, that was really cool. Um, it, is, it is great to be back with you. And I do just publicly wanna say thank you to Aaron. Um, he snuck out, but um, man, he just did a great job putting that video together, so yeah. As we jump into our second uh, Sunday of Advent today, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 40. And if you are here last week, you know that we're journeying with the prophet Isaiah as he points us to the coming Christ in this Advent season. We're, we're using what, what are called lectionary passages, passages that, that the church universal has decided on in a, in a given year to lead us to the birth of Christ that, that we'll celebrate On Christmas Eve and this Sunday's passage is Isaiah chapter 40. As I was reviewing it um, on the plane back uh, this week, I had an experience that sort of came back to my mind and it was as a backpacking guide uh, throughout my college years. There was one night where we were in the wilderness right outside of Crested Butte and we were lying in our little fly and had a bunch of high schoolers sort of packed in next to me and there was a, a sound out in the field. And it was a sound that I can only describe as, as, as heinous and death. Um, and if you've been out in the wilderness at all, you know that you hear everything. And there's some things you don't want to hear. And that was one of those things. So I was lying there, packed in like a sardine, and I hear what can only be uh, described as just a mauling going on in the field that was near me. And I snuck deeper into my sleeping bag, trying to give the aura of confidence to the high schoolers who were with me. And as I got closer to the end, because my, my um, approach was, I'm just going to hide, you know. Um, I always told people, when, we're, when you're in the backcountry, you don't need to be the fastest person in the group. You just can't be the slowest, okay. And so um, that was one of those moments for me, just worried. And as I slid my feet down to the bottom, um, I encountered a little plastic bag that I remembered. I'd slid in there, and it had beef jerky in it. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm about to be the beef jerky, right? <laughs> like, uh, this is not going to turn out. So I, I uh, said to everybody in my tent, hey, guys, good news, bad news. Good news is you're going to get a snack. Bad news is you might be a snack if you don't eat it quick. So hurry. And I gave out the beef jerky because I did not want to get mauled by whatever happened in the field right next to me. Um, the wilderness can be a scary place, can't it? If you've spent much time out there, you know that you're at the mercy of the weather, you're at the mercy of the wild, you're at the mercy of the animals, and it can be a a nerve-wracking place. The Israelites knew a little bit about wilderness themselves. Uh, They they knew about the wilderness of being slaves in Egypt. They, They did that wilderness for 400 years. After they got out of that wilderness, they crossed through the Red Sea and they wandered around in the wilderness for another 40 years. And it was during that time, during that season of wandering, that the Israelites were solidified as a nation. It was, it was in that wilderness wandering that they grew to trust God, they grew to know God, and they were, even at that point, given the, the commands of God, solidifying them as a, as a people and as a nation, And and God gave them two primary commandments. He gave them a lot of commandments, but you could summarize them in two categories. One was that they would be a people epitomized by love, that they would love God and that they would love others. And the second was that they would be a people of justice, that all throughout the Old Testament, they're reminded, you came out of slavery. Remember what it's like to be on the bottom. (laughs) And they didn't. (laughs) They didn't remember. And so even in the season of judges and the season of kings, there's this slow drift that starts to happen to the nation of Israel until God finally says, this isn't what I had in mind for you. You were supposed to be a people of love and justice and you're a people of idolatry and injustice and I just can't have it anymore. And so God sends the Babylonians in 586 to completely destroy Israel and they're taken off into exile, Um, another wilderness. And it's in that exile that Isaiah looks forward to. There's a lot of debate about the book of Isaiah, about um, when it was written, and whether it's Isaiah standing in exile or Isaiah looking forward to exile, Isaiah 40 is a passage written to people in a wilderness. But in order to really understand what Isaiah 40 is saying, you need to understand the heart of a wilderness wanderer. And maybe the best place we see that is in the book of Lamentations. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, listen to what he writes. In verse 2 of chapter 1, looking at Israel in ruins, personifying Israel or or Jerusalem to, to have a voice for herself, he says, she, the city, weeps bitterly in the night. With her tears on her cheeks, among all of her lovers, she has none to comfort her. Go down to verse 16. For these things I weep, my eyes overflow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. Zion stretches out her hands, but but there's none to comfort. You sort of get the sense that the wilderness stirs up in Israel this longing for comfort. This almost this uh, a picture of a child throwing a, a temper tantrum or just having an absolute breakdown. If you're a parent, you've you've seen that daily, um, where it almost feels like your kids are unconsolable, thrashing about. This is this is Israel. Is there anyone to comfort? Is there anyone who hears? Is there anyone coming to our aid? See, comfort could be defined as a relational coming alongside of to fortify, to, to strengthen, to build up, to, to point to a better day and to put an arm around someone. As, as kids, we, we found comfort in all sorts of things, didn't we? Comfort in a comfort in a blanket, maybe. Comfort in a, a parent's embrace. As as adults, we find comfort in different things. We we have terms like comfort food, praise Jesus, right? We have comfy pants, right? The post-Thanksgiving comfy pants that don't remind us of how much we just ate. We we have comfortable scenes that just seem to create a certain sense of but then there's also moments, aren't there, where we can relate to the Israelites' lament? Is there, is there anyone to comfort? Is there anything that could be a, a healing balm over, over this pain? We experience the wilderness in all sorts of situations. Maybe it's a circumstance that you're walking through right now. And you're going, I don't, I don't know how this situation is going to ever work itself out. Is there any comforter for this abuse that I've walked through? Is there any comfort for this job that I'm looking for that just seems so elusive Maybe it's a relational comfort that we're crying out for. Uh, Hey, let's be honest, right? Christmas is a time where families get together. For some of you, that's really exciting. And for some of you, you're going, my eyes weep, my eyes overflow with tears for a comfort is far from me, right? And maybe it's relational, and there's just this seed of bitterness you just can't seem to stamp out. Is there any comfort? Or maybe, maybe, look up at me for just a second, because we don't just want to play church here. Maybe it's spiritually. You're just in a wilderness, and and you feel like you're wandering, and God seems distant, and he seems like his ears are plugged, and he's far away, and the Bible seems dry, and your prayer life is parched, and you're going... God, I don't get it. Where are you? I love reading Jeremiah's cry in Lamentations. Is there any comfort? Because it's a common lament of humanity. You've cried it, and I've cried it. It's part of our universal language because we live in a world that's broken. Is there any comfort? And it's in that situation that Isaiah Begins to write in Isaiah chapter 40. I, Isaiah could be termed um, a mini Bible of sorts. There are how many books in the Bible? Anyone? 66. How many chapters in Isaiah? 66. Hmm. Uh, there are 39 books in the Old Testament. There are anybody quick at math? How many in the new? 27. Nailed it, stuck the dismount. Good work. Now, if you were to look at the entire book of Isaiah, here's the way you could divide it. You could divide it between chapters 39 and chapters 40. 1 through 39 is Isaiah talking about exile, saying, We've got to repent, you guys. We've got to turn back to God. We've, we've wandered away, and God is going to come, and He's going to lead us back to Him, and it's not going to be pretty. So let's just go ourselves. Chapters 40 through 66 is Isaiah envisioning not only their place in exile, but the God who shows up in exile. And listen, if we could read just the uh, Lamentations passage together and then read right into Isaiah 40, I think you get the picture of what Isaiah is saying. Uh, Lamentations, uh, verses 16, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 read like this. For these things I weep, my eyes overflow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. One to revive my spirit, my children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Anybody, can anybody relate? For Zion stretches out her hands, but there's none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. There's there's none to comfort her. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 4. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare has Ended that her iniquity is pardoned; that she's received from the Lord, Lord's hands, double for all of her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness: "Prepare the way of the Lord." Make straight in the desert, or in the wilderness, a highway for your God. For every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain will be made low. And uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh, all flesh, all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Is there any comfort? Anyone? Anyone? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And so in 1741, in one of the greatest Christmas pieces ever written, George Friedrich Handel begins his oratorio Messiah with these words. Comfort. Comfort is coming. Comfort is coming. On the way, your God is coming. Your God is on the move. Can you imagine for Israel standing in exile, how hard that would have been to believe? (laughs) See, oftentimes we read the Bible, but we don't put ourselves in the place of the people receiving it. And we do ourselves a disservice because we start to think that this is just some sort of pie in the sky type of comfort. No, this is, a, this is a wilderness wandering type of a comfort. This is a comfort that says to the people of Israel, you don't need to leave the wilderness to encounter comfort. You don't need to leave the wilderness to meet your God. That your God is making a highway that's coming to you, not to just take you out of the wilderness, but to meet you in it. That's the power of this passage, that comfort is coming, and it's coming in your wilderness. It's not just taking you out of it. It's meeting you in it. And so the voice says, oh, prepare. Prepare the way, And so as we go to the Gospels, if you flip over, just keep your finger in Isaiah 40, we're going to come back there. But if you flip over to Mark chapter 1, Mark's the very first Gospel chronologically that was written. And so Mark begins his Gospel account by saying this. In the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Okay, it should. It should, because what Mark is doing, and, and this is probably Peter who's, who's writing through Mark, but what, what they're doing is they're saying something new is going on. Uh, there's, a, there's a new promise that's being fulfilled, and it's happening in our midst. And so you have John the Baptizer, and if you've ever watched a movie about Jesus, my guess is one of your favorite character in it, characters in it was John the Baptist, right? Because he's just got this crazy hair right he's got a coat made of camel skin he's eating bugs and honey right and they they usually get him right i think they get jesus wrong but they get john the baptizer right in the movies cuz you just go oh he's a lunatic and, and he was he and, he and here's what he's doing he's doing what the prophets often did he's he's acting out what he's saying so he doesn't go to the uh, civic center of jerusalem and say god's coming No, 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 no. He goes out to where? The wilderness. Outside of the city, where the land is barren, where the water's sparse, and where the ground is dry. And he says, Oh, prepare, get ready. Because you don't have to leave the wilderness to encounter your God. He builds a highway to meet you there. In all the dryness, in all the desolation, in the barrenness, and the pain, and the failure, and the regret, God comes. And here's what Advent reminds us of it reminds us that God uses the barren wilderness to birth beautiful life. God uses the barren wilderness to birth beautiful life. Please look up at me. We need to get this this Christmas season, that you don't need to leave the wilderness to encounter God. It might be the very place that he's put you so that you can actually hear his voice. So Isaiah says, not, hey, leave Babylonian Persian exile so that you can meet God. He says, no, oh, no, 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 no. There's a highway that's being built and God is coming to meet you there. And everybody's gonna see it and every valley shall be raised up and every mountain will be made low. But if we don't expect him, if we don't expect and if we don't prepare to meet God in the barren wilderness, um, we might miss him. We might miss him. So the prophet says, Prepare. Uh, stir your heart anticipate like um, like kids on christmas eve night putting out milk and cookies to welcome santa to their house <laughs> prepare get ready get ready in your dryness get ready in your despair get ready in your barrenness in the in the wilderness Get ready to encounter your God. In Littleton, prepare. In Denver, prepare. Um, uh, uh, They're preparing in Corte Because God is coming. And I love this. If you read through the, the prophet poet Isaiah's voice here, here's what you don't see you don't see God saying, listen, just endure it. <laughs> Quit your whining. This is what you deserve. May I remind you that you are here because of your covenantal unfaithfulness and disobedience. So get over it. Now, would that have been true if he would have said that? Yes. But it would not have been gospel. And He comes and he preaches gospel. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, go up onto a high mountain, O Zion, herald of what? Good news. In the the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, this is the first place we read the word euangelion, which is our, the Greek of what we would translate as gospel. Zion, in your wilderness, go up onto the mountain. And Herald of good news, herald of the gospel, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of the gospel, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold, your God is coming, and he's meeting you in the wilderness. And friends, if we avoid the wilderness, we avoid one of God's greatest workshops in our life. Over the course of this week on um, plane flights and downtime, I had the chance to read a book that is entitled, When Breath Becomes Air. Has anyone read this book? Great book. It's about um, this neurosurgeon who has as many accolades as you could possibly acquire, Stanford trained, and um, just at the top of his game and at the top of his profession is name is Paul Kalanithi, but he was diagnosed with a lung cancer that moved into his brain. And after a number of uh, attempts at staving off the cancer, it eventually took his life. And as he knew that this was his end that was coming, he started to write this book. And he started to search for meaning, <laughs> See, because when you're in the wilderness, some of the uh, old ways of walking just don't work anymore. Anybody want to say amen? And he started to think there's got to be something more to this life. And in this really poignant part of this book, he writes a letter to his young daughter named Lucy, and here's what he says in this note. He says he, he wants to give her a message, and I quote, The message is simple. When you come to one of the many moments in life when you must give an account of yourself, provide a ledger of what you've been and done and meant to the world, do not, I pray, discount that you filled a dying man's days with a sated joy, a joy unknown to me in all my prior years, a joy that does not hunger for more and more but rests satisfied. In this time, he writes, right now, that is an enormous thing. And, and for a man who was at the top of his class and at the top of what many of us would say is the human ascent, he goes, it just it doesn't matter. Here's what matters. is love. His relationships. His family. It, that, that's, what, that's what matters. But he gets a picture of the reality And you know this, and and I've seen it too, that God often births beautiful life in barren wilderness. He did it there, and my prayer is that he do it in us. And so for the next few moments, what I'd like to do is I want to preach good news into your spiritual deserts. In your wilderness wanderings, because my conviction is that your next breakthrough spiritually will not come on a mountaintop, but will come in a dark valley. that that will be the catalyst for what God does next in your life moving you forward, that it will be the word of comfort that comes in the barren darkness that actually propels you forward. You may ask, well, how does that happen? I'm really glad you asked that, because that's what the prophet Isaiah talks about. Here's what he says. Verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 40. The prophet poet writes this. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? Now, don't you love this banter? This, that we get this, like, this insight into what Isaiah and God's relationship is like. God says to him, cry. And Isaiah's like, what do you want me to cry? He goes, cry this. All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like a flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely, the people are like grass." In the net translation, it says it a little bit different. Here's what it says. It says, all people are like grass and their promises are like the flowers in the field. What Isaiah's writing is that one of the things the wilderness reminds us of is that we're inconsistent, that we come up short, that we're often unfaithful in our Word, I had a, um, a, somebody who I, I follow, a pastor friend of mine that tweeted out this week, he says that Advent reminds us not that we are faithful in our waiting, but that God is faithful in his coming. That's what Isaiah's remembering. Oh man, I've, I've messed this up more times than I can remember and so have my friends. And here's what happens in the wilderness. We're stripped of our sufficiency and forced if, you have, if you're following along in your notes, you can circle that word forced because oftentimes, if you're anything like me, we need to be forced into dependency. We don't go there on our own. But in the wilderness, we're stripped of our sufficiency and forced into dependency. I would argue that this is the point and the power of the wilderness is that we throw our hands up in the air and go, I don't know what else I can do here. I've I've tried everything I can. For the Israelites, it's it's Jerusalem. Our crown city lies in ruins, and we're under the thumb of the Babylonians. We've got nothing to offer. And God goes, ah, perfect. Perfect. I've got you exactly where I want you. See, the wilderness pushes back against our rugged Western individualism and reminds us that we cannot do this on our own. Self-sufficiency dies in the wilderness. And that's the power. That's the power of the wilderness. I, I love the way that The prophet Hosea writes it, recording the words of God and and why God takes his people into exile. He says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. Now, this is ironic language because the way he does this is through the hand of the Babylonians. Not exactly a tenderness, but listen to what his goal is. And I will bring her into the wilderness and I will, what? Speak tenderly to her. As if to say that maybe, just maybe, in the wilderness, the voices will be quieted, the the pride will be softened, and the ears opened. That maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to hear differently in the wilderness than we could in the loud, boisterous, sufficient city that they used to live in. It may be the very reason that from a very early stage in the Christian tradition, the first few centuries, that there would be a monastic movement of what we would call the desert fathers and the desert mothers who would journey into the wilderness in order to hear the voice of God. Uh, Aaron and I had the chance on a long layover in Paris to stand in, in Notre Dame and uh, this great cathedral, Gothic cathedral in Paris. And, um, and then we ran over to this church at the Sacred Heart and had a similar experience of looking up at the vast ceiling and the architecture and the art and, and sensing this just this holy awe that it stirs in you. But before there was ever a Notre Dame or a Sacred Heart, there were people who said, we want to hear the voice of God, and so we're going to the desert, (laughs) to the middle of nowhere. Here's the power of the wilderness wandering for you and and for me. It's that the sufficiency we have in ourselves just doesn't work anymore. It falls flat, and so we need to lean on the journey of others. If you're in the wilderness, can I give you an encouragement this morning? That there are wells that other people have drilled and walked through the same road that you're walking through that is available to you. It's part of the beautiful tradition of being followers of Christ. You can grab a a common book of prayer and read through some of these liturgies, and there are wells that you didn't dig, but there's water that's available for you that we get the chance to lean on people who've walked this road before us going, listen, we we can't do this on our own. We actually, God, we need you to show up. In the wilderness in Egypt, in the ancient times, there were people that would wander all around on trade routes and they would mark the wells by putting little cairns along the way, stacks of, of rocks to show you, hey, keep going. Keep going, there's water coming up. And I just want to say to you, if you're in the wilderness today, keep going. Lean on the journey that others have taken before you. Trust the words of the Apostle Paul that when we're weak, we're strong. That even if you don't feel faith, you can choose it. And sometimes you have to in the wilderness. Anybody want to say Amen. 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 But Isaiah and his people are being stripped down, and ironically, they're being put in the place that they have the most power, dependent, dependent on God. Here's the way the passage continues. So go up. Go up to a high mountain, Isaiah records. O Zion, herald of the gospel, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, a herald of good news. Lift it up and fear not, and say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God or or hey look look up at me Behold the Lord your God he comes with might in the wilderness he's coming Behold 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 and here's what the prophet is reminding us of that it's the wilderness has power to transform because it's often in the wilderness that we reach out for a comforter because nothing is comfortable And there's just something about being human where we won't reach out for a comforter if everything's comfortable. Well, we'll settle for the temporary trinket type of comfort, but when all that's stripped away, that's when we start to reach out. That's when we start to connect with God. I love the way that the great pastor Eugene Peterson put it when he says this, we all need comfort because we're separated from our origins in Christ and our future in God. That's why we need comfort is because sin separates us from the author of life. So Eugene Peterson writes, reach out, behold your God. Take him in, hold him. I I love, Mary is a a great example of this, the mother of Jesus. And here's what she says. Luke chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 record this about Mary. As the angels declare this same reading that we had from this morning, declare the, the greatness and the goodness of God, That uh, peace to him on whom his favor rests. It says, and all who heard it wondered at it. They were amazed, just sort of thrown off a little bit, going, what's happening? At what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, so, so there's this like conjunction, but, and it separates Mary's response from everyone else's. Everybody wonders, everybody marvels, everybody goes, that's crazy, amazing, and good. But Mary, she treasured, it literally means to gather up all the pieces of the story. She she treasured it, and she pondered them in her heart. She gathered them up, and then she intentionally dwelled on them. She beholds her God. See, here's what the wilderness does. It causes us to reach out for a comforter because nothing is comforting. And I just want to encourage you this Christmas season, behold your God. Don't just marvel. It is marvelous, it's glorious, it's shockingly beautiful. But don't leave it there. Treasure it. Pull it together and ponder it. Look on it intently because whatever we behold, we eventually become. And it's no coincidence that Isaiah says, Behold your God and herald good news all in the same passage. Because whatever we behold, we tweet about. <laughs> we, we talk about. Well, you don't need to be around each other too long to know what we behold. Because it naturally comes out of us. Whatever we behold, we eventually become. And whatever we behold, we eventually proclaim. It was true of Mary. It's true of Isaiah. And, and, and it will be true of you. So can I encourage you? Look up at me for a moment. Please, 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 please. Don't let Advent pass you by without reaching out and beholding your comforter. He's coming. He's coming. Will you take the time to behold? A number of the elders during this season have been inspired in light of the way that Advent started, a series of monks journeying out to the wilderness to fast for the 40 days leading up to Christmas. A number of the elders are going to take just one day a week during the Advent season and fast and ask God, God, show us your face in a different way. Would you want to join us? Pick a day and just intentionally say, I just, I just want to behold Maybe it's every day during this Advent season, you go on a walk around your neighborhood and you behold the beauty that's around you and you just say, God, I just, in every step I take, I wanna remember this story that you clothed yourself in humanity and stepped into your story to redeem an obstinate people. Remind me of it again, Lord. Or maybe you just grab one of the devotions that we have sitting on the table outside and you journey with us through this Advent season. Whatever you do, would you intentionally behold? Because your God is coming. And then Isaiah says, finally, here's the power of the wilderness. Here's what we start to see. Behold, verse 10, the Lord your God comes with what? Might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. It's this picture of God as 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 a general of an army who's just going in powerful, strong, and ready to take names. He will tend his flock like a shepherd and gather them like lambs in his arms and will carry them in his bosom and gently lead them that are with young. We're supposed to read that and go, well, these two pictures usually don't go together. And certainly in an ancient world, they did not. Rulers ruled with an iron fist and there's a really practical reason they did this. They got killed if they didn't. If you were a weak ruler, you got run over or run through, or maybe both. And Isaiah says, no, 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 when our God comes, when he comes with comfort, when he comes with that healing balm, when he comes, he comes with both might and he comes gently. He comes with mercy. He's, as the prophet Micah foretelling the coming of the Christ said, he's both the ruler and the shepherd. And I think it's when we're in the wilderness that we start to see this sort of dual dimension of God, that he's strong and that he's tender, that he's the ruler and he's the shepherd. And in the wilderness, we need him to be both, don't we? Because if he's just strong and not good, it doesn't do us any good. And if he's just good and not strong, it doesn't do anybody any good. But in the wilderness, we see the dual dimension of God. He comes alongside of us like a shepherd to tenderly care for us. And he's strong. And he transforms us. That's the power. That's the reason that barren wilderness often births beautiful life. There's this verse that we didn't read yet, but we will now, as we land the plane here. Verse 8, it says this. Oh, sorry. That, this isn't what verse 8 says. This is, this is what verses 10 and 11 say, that in the wilderness we encounter a God of both mercy and might. Verse 8 says... <clears throat> The grass, which Isaiah's already defined in verse 6 as as us, as humanity, as flesh, that the grass, flesh, withers, and the flowers, they fade. It's this picture of humanity being unfaithful, inconsistent, and unwilling to journey with God oftentimes. It's the reason that they're in wilderness, the grass withers, the flower fades, but And Isaiah has this this conjunction, but the word of our God stands forever. Flesh is consistent, but our God, our God, he's faithful. Flesh is mortal, but our God, he's faithful. Now, 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 now. What might happen if we were able to combine these two things? What if the Word became flesh? What if all of the faithfulness of God was embodied in a fleshly humanity? What if God could step in, in all of his perfection and immortality and clothe himself in mortality and in the failure of the first Adam, step into life as the second Adam and become a flesh that's faithful? Well, here's what we'd have. Christmas. We'd have incarnation. We would have hope, we would have peace, we would have joy, we would have love, we would have the comforter because as John chapter 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So therefore, it is not in there, but it's safe to cry out. (laughs) It's safe to cry out because at Christmas, comfort became incarnate. His name is Jesus. And in all of your wilderness wanderings, in all of your shortcomings, in all of your failure, he loves to meet you there at Christmas. It's the virgin's wilderness womb that gives birth to eternal life. Friends, this is the gospel. This is good news. This is the reason. It's safe to cry out. Our hope is rooted in the assurance that God pays personal, tender, and powerful attention to us. So what wilderness do you need him to meet you in? What comfort are you crying out for? Because I have a word for you. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your He's speaking tenderly to you and inviting you, reach out, behold, rely on your strong, tender God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hope has an arm around us. Comfort has a name and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. So God, I pray over my friends in this room today who are in a, a season of wilderness or who are heading for one. It seems like that's the thing about wilderness, Father, is that we don't need to look for it. It seems to find us. And Lord, you have a way of finding us there as well. And I pray that you would. I pray that there would be people today who would cry out and say, I'm dry, I'm, I'm, I'm desperate, I'm at my end, and that you would make a highway to meet them in that desert, in that wilderness, that in the barren wilderness, you would birth beautiful life. Praise you that your solid, faithful, eternal word took on mortal flesh in order to redeem people who are like grass and fading flowers. Thank you. We celebrate you this Christmas season, Jesus, giver of life. And it's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said...